I have such an opportunity today to be in this conversation with Alexis, who is a prolific poet, a conjurer of magic words and pictures, a descendant of strong women and whales, mm -hmm. <laughs> celebrating an anniversary of partnership today. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to this dialogical sermon. And what I called it is a black feminist conversation about how we can mother the world into peace. Doesn't that sound oh, good? I love that, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Great. So, so tell me, just tell us, introduce yourself to people who might not know you. What do you want us to know about you as we think about this conversation? Sure, well, I love everything that you said. I do identify as a descendant of strong women and whales. And I, um, yes, I think of myself as a, as a daughter on ancestral assignment, mm. an ancestor accountable, intellectual and creative being. I, um, yeah, what, uh, West Indian descent and um, Southern pride. I um, I live in Durham, North Carolina, and it is the place that I've lived the longest, and I love my city. So those are things to know about me. You teach at Duke? I don't. I did do my PhD at Duke, and and I did. I have taught there before, right. but I am the. I am the provost, I say, of a tiny black feminist <laughs> educational institution, Mobile Homecoming Trust Amazing. here in Durham. I love that. I love it. I love it. Well, you and I are doing the digital thing that everyone does. You have beautiful cloth behind you. <laughs> I'm right here just for this. <laughs> and I am sitting with my purple flowers. <laughs> oh, we're matching. In my pink and purple room. So I thought it works really great. Um, as I think about this kind of feminist conversation and what it means to be Black women in America. And I wonder if you would, for, for the ones who are listening to the sermon, say what Black feminism is. Um, what is it for you? For me, Black feminism is a political legacy. It is a rigorous form of love. And for me, it is my spiritual practice my primary central spiritual practice in, in this life. So black feminism, what, I'm, what I call black feminism is the work that people who called themselves and still today call themselves black feminists have done, which is to look at the world in a way that asks what can make our world more livable, more loving, and the answers to those questions that they have found have everything to do with recognizing how interconnected we are, how interconnected the systems are that shape our lives, but also how our connections to each other across and through are actually what make the world and can make the world a more loving and livable place. I love livable and loving place. And whenever I read you, hear you talk about this connection, it makes me think about Ubuntu. Yeah, that kind of I see you, you see me, I am because you are kind of a philosophy. Does that resonate for you? Absolutely. And well, in fact, um, I'm one of the founding members of a collective 
called Ubuntu, which um, we created as, as a collective response to a very high media profile sexual assault case that happened here in Durham. And it, the reason that we named the collective, which is a, a women of color-led, survivor-led collective, um, ending sexual violence and creating sustainable transformative love, the reason that we wanted the name Ubuntu was because that is, that is what we believe. We believe that it is our interdependence and our recognition that we're connected that actually can provide us the greatest healing, the greatest transformation and impact moving forward, even in situations like this particular very divisive, very fractious situation that we were responding to at that time, where it would be more, um, it might seem more obvious to focus on our separations and to, and to emphasize our separateness from those who've done harm, for example. We really understood that that has not worked in our favor and, and will not and does not work in our favor in the long term. And so the vision for the world that we want, sustainable transformative love, is that Ubuntu, the way that we are transformed by each other. And it is sustainable because it is ongoing and it is even beyond one lifetime. And it's yes, a species and it's connected to the planet, yes. the earth, the mother, the mother, right? Yes, yes. Too. You know, we talk a lot at Middle about revolutionary love, Lexus. Um, and, and it is, uh, I, I believe it is my feminist womanist um, project to make love everywhere, I like to say. I love the double entendre of that. But, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like to think about uh, the, the, the passion of, you know, of sexual love and the deep friendship of like filial love and the overflowingness of agape love is one kind of love energy with which, like to use a psychological term, if we could affect the whole planet into our love orbit mm -hmm. what would it mean if it was actually that you complete me that mm -hmm. your well-being is my well-being that your liberation is my liberation yes all of us are pulsing together as one being and what we yes. revolutionary would be that we fix it all together right yes yes yeah absolutely june jordan says that we have to make love powerful mm -hmm. and um my favorite my favorite of her essays, which is saying a lot because June Jordan is one of my favorite thinkers of all time, is, um, is a talk she gave in 1977 called The Creative Spirit. And the first sentence in there is, love is life force. Love. And she goes on yeah. to just really in complete agreement with everything you just said, talk about what would it be if we actually allowed that to if we acted accordingly, because it's not that it's not true, it is true. It's just that we've set up some structures that are not uh, acknowledging and honoring that reality, which, which, is the major, which is the major conflict. But she specifically talks about it. She talks about what would that mean for the rivers of the world, the bees of the world? What would it mean in terms of peaceable relations between human beings, but beyond, beyond that? And yeah, her focus there is a strong, loving, intergenerational relationship. It's, um, 
and and it's it's what introduces for us it's the theoretical framework that holds the anthology that i had the honor of co-editing with my awesome co-editors maya williams and china martins we start by reprinting that essay the creative spirit which is actually well, it's actually the first book that it's ever been published in because she gave it as, as a public oh. talk. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because it's just like, oh my goodness, it's almost as if that one sentence, love is life force. And so I just think it's so amazing that middle, and this is why I'm like, oh my goodness, I've been so excited to, to get to meet you and, and to get to engage because you have created an entire space around that philosophy of revolutionary love it we we have and it is the most amazing thing and also the most difficult thing in the world and i say that when i talk about creating multiracial multi everything spaces i i have it as my highest value i grew up uh, uh I was in the Air Force, haha. -ha. My dad was in the Air Force, so we- So you were too. <laughs> we get to pick it. We started yeah. in these like places where, I mean, we were often the only black family, um, but, but also a place where I would say the ethic of love was legislated. Mm. Like you will, I got called the N-word when I was in kindergarten. Mm. And I came home and told about it, and my dad went to the base commander about it, and there was an action. That happened. I think that might have been the beginning of my activism. Yeah. But, you know, where there was not necessarily fondness, there was a mandated respect code. And later on in life, my dad, my brother, both military people, you find yourself creating family in those military spaces because mm -hmm. you do have to rely on each other, right? You do have to count on each other. And there's both the rigor of expectation of respect, and then there's the need to make family. Um, I'm saying that to say I have a really high value around that, around uh, spaces that are many gendered, that are many sexual orientations, that are um, multiracial, multiethnic. It is right, and it is hard, and mm -hmm. it is right, and it is hard. And middle is the most beautiful experiment of this. Um, the space where, you know, everything is everything, and love is love is love. Uh, so I, I can't wait for you to come see us sometime in the real world. I can't wait either. Yeah, I'm very excited for that to happen. But, but I talk about the hard to say something about this, Alexis. Like, what is it? You know, why, why do we create systems and structures that go against our nature? I, I feel like in your writing, you're saying it is actually natural for us to be interdependent and actually natural for us to be loving. What's with the systems and structures that are so against our nature? Yeah, I mean, I wonder that every day. I'm like, why? <laughs> um, <laughs> because it takes so much. It takes so much work to impose this other story. I mean, I, I have been thinking about that in this moment where, um, you know, I, I felt like I, I have seen and I continue to see so many acts of love, so many acts of care that are um, incredibly inspiring and so many people who are really honoring their impulse to, to be amazing neighbors, to, right. Right. to care for other people. And um, it has been interesting to see what it takes to impose a divisive narrative on top of something that impacts everyone. You know, I, I feel like there was a moment where I was like, oh my goodness, I was seeing people even just finding the same jokes, all funny about being stuck 
in the house and you know all, all of these different things and then it was like right after that there was a lot of funding for um people to demonstrate around a very divisive political response um, or non-response to um to COVID-19. So I see examples of that over and over again. Like you can see it like, oh, it takes a lot, it takes a lot of work. And why? You know, what what is that? What is the fear that is um that is there? I mean I, I think that there um there are levels of fear. And my thought is that there's even that fear is connected to the same truth of how profoundly we want and need to be connected and loved hmm. and yeah. fear that we cannot yeah. and know deep inside that we cannot live without that connection you know right. without that um without the reality of our interdependence and so i do think that there is um i think that you know we we we, I was just reading um, Audre Lorde's 1989 uh, commencement address for Oberlin College, which which was um, on my on my heart this morning, and she was talking about a very small amount of people who um, must be so afraid, you know, who are like interested in a, in amassing amount of an amount of wealth that, that no individual can spend or even you know move or or do things with um that that they um feel the type of fear that they feel that they need to do that and then there's a story that taps into a larger set of people's fear because it would never work without a large set of people tapping into that fear that if we can't individually control our access to love, which we can't, because it's not individual <laughs> unit of exchange. <laughs> you know, like that, that's not what love is. Then we will somehow end up bereft of it. You know, like that—that's a story, and it's a story that's repeated over and over again. I, I two things. One, the Audre Lord. I was thinking this morning about the what is it after which hurricane? Oh, Hurricane Hugo in '88. Right. Yeah, I wish they lived down the road. Or she, yes, she kind of inviting people to like. What if you all? What if we all lived down the road and we all were the ones yes. who were surviving on these plantains and we were all the ones making it, you know, mm -hmm. making our heads back together? Like all of us together were surviving. Um, the, this guy, I think his name is Diogenes Allen. I try to attribute this to him, and then I look it up, and it says I said it. So I'm going to say he's. <laughs> This would be a fair scholar, but this idea that um, love is the unconditional regard for the unique particularity of the other. Mm -hmm. Love is the unconditional regard for the unique particularity of the other. And, and that we're like wired for that. Like we want that. We delight in that. That's juicy for us. That's joyful for us to really enjoy each other's otherness, right? But at the same time, the, the embedded fear the psychodynamic fear is love will make me have two wombs. Mm. I will either be abandoned right, or I will be absorbed. Mm -hmm. Abandoned or absorbed. I will cease to exist either way, right? right? And so is that part of our primal fear that that we will get what we want, which is to be loved up, and that if we're loved up, we won't exist anymore as an, as an independent agent? Is that, what do you think about that? I think so. I mean, I think that then the other question is, what is the, 
where does the independent agent thing come from? <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, 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 think, you know, I think that's true. And it's like, why do I, you know, let me just put it to myself. Like, why do I continue to want to exist as an independent, independent agent or as an individual um, and, and it's because I, I do. I'm not saying like, oh, other people who think that are the misguided and I just, you know, vibrate as part of the collective, the collective uh, love vibration that you mentioned earlier. I feel like I do in the best moments. <laughs> and um, there is still something that's like, oh, what am I protecting? What am I protecting in the sense of an idea of who I am or an idea of who I was? And um, or an idea of who I'm supposed to be. Yes. What, what does success look like? What does, what, does, what does success look like? What does winning look like? What does surviving look like? You know, uh, I don't know that we can go back far enough to find out who, like who when they walked out of the cave, Alexis, like who walked out of the cave and went, wow, there's stuff out here we could do together. And somebody like, yep. And then, but then somebody went, but I want that big one. (laughs) (laughs) I want the big one. I want the big piece of meat or I want the big totem or, you know, whatever it was. Because I I decided that size matters or I decided that um, fierce matters. And um, like, how do we undo that? I feel like our ancestors had another, many of our ancestors had another story. Yes, most of our ancestors, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I I think that um, Sylvia Winter is, is a person who theorizes how it's, it's much more recent than, it's much more recent than the cave, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, it, and that, um, and that it's specific, you know, like she talks about what, what in the moment before colonialism, mm-hmm. what, as she's a, she's an intellectual historian and she does incredible history of science and she's like, what is it? And it actually is a theological break. Yes. The yes. way that she describes it is that there is a moment where a particular set of folks who are in conversation with each other, and now they call it the Enlightenment, but we don't know how enlightened it is, um, <laughs> are um, creating this idea, this idea of the human or this idea of man as separate from God. and um, and she says homo economicus, right? So that, so that the, um, the, the economic reality becomes the new religion, becomes the new theology through which this unit exists and must be continually reproduced. And then that set of folks yeah. out of that um, philosophy, colonizing the rest of the world and, and imposing that, right? There's a beautiful moment where she, um, she, Sylvia Winter is at, was at a conference uh, about the future of African development, economic development, right? And she is like, this is not necessarily a good idea. <laughs> it's not necessarily a good idea to adopt this particular relationship to environment, which is an extractive relationship to environment. Right. If we all develop that same economy, we won't be able to be here on this planet. This planet will not be able to tolerate us. And she's, she was saying that in the 1970s, you know, um, and she is still saying it today, you know, where, where, she, where she is um, continuing to create theory right now. 
there's something really powerful and something's being built in your world, something being built. There is some construction somewhere. No, whatever you're building, I hope can you, it's beautiful. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can, I can hear you beautifully. I just wanted to say out loud for the sermon hearers. Yes, that's what's yeah. happening. I don't know exactly. It's okay. I don't know what's being built, but some, something is being built. What I really <laughs> love about the work, I'm discovering more of your work, Alexis, all the time, but I feel like one of the ways that you are modeling in your scholarship, in your work, in your poetry, the thing you say is important is the way you interact with work that's gone before you. You, you know, the, the homo erectus, oh, did I say that? The homo erectus. That other thing, economics, right? Um, this idea that we are, like I am by myself, the way I become known is I have these individual thoughts and I write them down and someone quotes me and but you're so in dialogue with other writers people's work that you really found important and then you work you focus on that work as part of your conversation can you say so what it made me think about was you know the scripture that got read today as we do the sermon is something about the stones that the the stone that the builder rejected rejected the stone that the builders mm -hmm. rejected has become this cornerstone and i thought you're a builder so the hammer made me think <laughs> you're, you're, I'm, this is i'm going i'm pulling this together you're yeah. a builder you're not a so much an over against her as you are a synthesizer and a dialogue partner and a builder upon these beautiful things that have happened in the world. Is that right? I love that. I love that. I never <laughs> have articulated it like that, but I appreciate the metaphor of someone actually doing something with sound like with a stone, I don't know, that's happening nearby that we can hear. For me, that is part of this idea of what you say of mothering the world into peace. I feel like that is an is a truth you know I, I i know and in my studies of literary history i've seen that like oh there's something that's like i would say patricidal you know that, that people say okay this is how i establish myself as a brilliant new voice is i have to say that what came before me was wrong in this way this way this way this way right and you know that's, of course there are different things and different perspectives across generations and um the people who have influenced me it's not to say that that I would agree with everything or they would agree with everything that I would say. Right. But it is the case, I think it's always the case, you know, that even to be able to say anything, it does come out of what has been said before. Yes. It, we are influenced by everything that we've read and heard and, you know, we can't always represent all of that. But part of what my commitment has been is to say, well, what's another way of being in relationship that's not my intimacy is that I can destroy what came before me because I know it so well that I can see everything that shouldn't be the way it is or that you know that I think is wrong with it but to say this is something that has transformed me yes. and what if I lean into that like how much more will it even transform me right which has been right. the, the practice of like if I'm engaging in every single day and I'm allowing it to take me where it takes me and um no, that's and I just think it's, it's, uh, I'm hoping that it's just one way. And I think there are many ways to honor the reality. It's the, it is the reality of our interdependence and of our intellectual symbiosis that 
um, yeah, it's, and it's love, you know, it's, and it's a form of daughtering. For me, it is a form of daughtering. Daughtering. Oh, that's cool. And it's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a visionary daughtering, you know, like obviously there's a daughtering or the category daughter has, has a patriarchal function in a certain type of way. But I also think that there is, just like there can be revolutionary mothering, I feel that there can be visionary daughtering that says, I get to decide how to be in relationship and I can be accountable as a daughter in ways that are life-giving, in ways that are honoring, sometimes in ways that even advocate for my foremothers in ways that they may not have had the space to advocate for themselves or wouldn't even think to advocate for themselves because they're busy making it possible for us to even be here. So, um, yeah, I think that there's just a recognition and love that I want to place at the center and a form of relationship. You know, like I, I think about, I was thinking about what it is and I've seen it happen. You know, I've seen it happen with some of the some of the elders who, you know, there's ancestors who I who I quote and who are so important, central to our work, and this is why we reprint the June Jordan and you know all of this. But those living elders who who get to know that they are eternal, you know, like that they will live forever. And it's not because my books are going to be in print forever necessarily, but because their impact, they can recognize that their impact has been so deep that it's be, it's beyond, right. It's beyond citation. Beyond footnote, right? It's, it it exists as people's lives, right? Audre Lorde says you testify to it with your life. And, and you know, there's no way then that all those lives that they've touched, because our lives are interdependent, then the lives that they've touched, our lives are transforming other lives. You know, like it, it lives it lives in this way that is um, so far beyond the ego and so far beyond the units of um, the units of academic novelty that exist. It's it's something much deeper than that, and I feel like what especially the black feminist writers and black women writers who who I have read they have done more than let me have access to smart ideas though they have done that they have given me something deeper like my love and life itself and they've birthed they've birthed us. Yes. And so they deserve more than just like, yay, that was smart, though it was. Yes. You know, like they, they, what they did as they did it was part of eternal life. So they should be acknowledged in their eternal life now while they're living and for those who have already passed on forever and beyond, beyond the words, but because I do work with words. There, there's almost a performance of it, you know, like, as you mentioned, I have book, I have, I have this book here with a, a, a here called Dub, show that again. Called Dub, and it's, it's the third, the third one, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a third and a triptych, and it's inspired by Sylvia Winter, especially, 
and it cites her on every single page, every single, every single paragraph. It's, it's Sylvia Winter, Sylvia Winter, something she emphasized, something she wrote in, in, or gave in one of her, her speeches. And it's still not actually what I'm talking about, but it's a representation to say that, you know, there's just so many that if all, if all I did for the rest of the years that I have, all I used this body for was to just say thank you and then say thank you and thank you and thank, thank you. you. Yeah. That still wouldn't be it. Yeah. Oh. But I can at least honor that there's that infinitude of grace, love, and gratitude made possible yeah. by what these people have testified to with their lives. With their lives. So to take us just a bit to revolutionary mothering in this moment in time, I'm not, I'm not the big Mother's Day woman. I, I, my mama's dead three years, bless her, I love her. Um, I didn't get to have babies, my eggs were too old. Um, so I'm not like, Mother's Day is the thing, but I love this idea of mothering. I, I, I am a mother and mm -hmm. the, the earth mothers me and the writers that have gone before us mother me. And, uh, you know, Alice Walker and Toni Morrison and um, Katie Cannon as a theologian and yes. Dolores Williams. And like, you know, you just want to say their names, say their names, say their names. Yes. What, Alexis, what can Black feminists teach this nation about mothering the world to peace? Mm -hmm. I love that question so much. <laughs> it's interesting because there, there's this moment and I'm like, oof, um, because as soon as you say, what can black feminists teach? You know, of course I'm like everything, right. right? And then I also feel that sometimes the way my black feminism emerges and um, identifies itself and the need for it with, within me is how many times I'm like, we already told you, you know what I'm saying? So like, like there, there's, and I remember um, I had a conversation with um, the incredible Barbara Smith, another one of these folks who absolutely, absolutely made black feminism accessible to me yeah. and was a person who dedicated and continues to dedicate her life to it actually being intergenerational. She was like, these books will stay in print, not because they're profitable, but because there's some people who are gonna come who are gonna need these. And I was one of those people. Um, and she said, um, I, think, I think it was like 2016 election. She was saying like, if people had listened to black feminists, you know, like, we wouldn't be in this situation. And there's so many situations that applies to where it's like, oh wow. Hmm. It has been said. So, um, <laughs> so I'll just I'll say that that was there for me, and I, I wanted to express it so that I can I can also really generatively respond um, to this question that you that I get to be asked, which is which is a huge a huge honor. So, I feel that Black feminists can teach the world, and do teach the world you know, like through our existence, mm -hmm. through our ethics of interdependence, mm -hmm. through the ways that we care for each other and the ways that we do not draw borders where we could, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but continue to create community, continue even to say the same thing over and over again. <laughs> for a hundred years, that is, you know, thinking about like 
I think about it, you know, like, and, and I feel grateful for the intergenerational legacy. I feel grateful for, um, you know, my sister, Brittany Cooper, being on the news and I look at her and I'm, and I see Ida B. Wells, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I see the, I see the through line and I'm so grateful that there is a through line. And I also see that we're still having to show up and say things that Ida B. Wells did say super eloquently. Um, so yeah, I think that there's a yes. I think that there's a, a profound yes mm-hmm. that is my experience of black feminism and I'm actually realizing, as you mentioned, this is um, our anniversary and my, one of our anniversaries in, in our partnership. And um, one of the first gifts that my partner, Sean Godare, ever gave me was a um, piece of art that they made. And it said, black feminism and yes, because those are my favorite words, <laughs> black feminism and yes. And so they made this beautiful piece of art so I could just see that reflected um, all the time. And that's what I see, there's, there's a yes. And I think that it's, it's the yes to that impulse within us that says we can be more loving, that says there's enough for us all to be well. Exactly. You know, that there's a yes to that because that, that, um, that impulse is there, that desire to embrace and be embraced is there. And I do think we've been taught that it is dangerous, whatever the word is, inefficient, not possible, mm-hmm. silly mm-hmm. to say yes to that. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of different versions of no that um, these systems, you know, as you asked about it earlier, these systems are all versions of no. They're no to life. They're no to love as life force. Love life force, yeah. No to yeah. life force. Like, exactly. Like and so I, enough, right? Like love isn't enough. But, but that's enough. what it says. That's the story, right? That's the story. And love is enough. And so I think that if I, if I was... Um, like if I was listening to this and I was thinking, how can I learn from black feminism? Like, how can I allow black feminism to mother me into a yes? I feel like that's what I'm testifying to with my life is I'm allowing black feminism to mother me into a yes. I would say, look at, look at it. Look at what black feminists say yes to. Just look, you know, you can look at Black feminists who are alive right now and say, what do they say yes to? There are a lot of things black feminists have to say no to. That's right. And yes to. In order to in order to protect that deeper yes. Right. And I think that there's a loving, I think that there's a loving rage. Like when I think about this daughtering, I think about, I think about Kakuya Shakur. And how Asada Shakur describes Kakuya Shakur, her daughter, four-year-old daughter, young daughter, um, who refused to accept that her mother was in prison. She refused. She had tantrums. She screamed. She said, you are not my mother. She would refuse to embrace her and hug her. She said, no, no, no. You could leave here if you wanted to. And, you know, this this is a... toddler, um, not somebody who is, um, who is 
aware of the systemic intersections that cause her mother to be a political prisoner yet. Right. But Asada Shakur believed her. She said, I don't want to teach her that this prison is more true than what she knows, which is that we belong together. And it took a whole bunch of people and, and people are still in jail for this right. to actually make it true what Kakuya said. But they did. And, and Asada is free and yeah. they got to be together in Cuba. And um, that is, for me, that is one of the miracles of daughtering is that there is a no to prison that is in honor of the yes that we deserve to be each other, that our love is more important than this structure the prison and i just i just wonder about that i think looking at what black feminists say yes to and then i think then this is what audrey i feel audrey lord was encouraging people to do this all the time even people who called into radio shows she was on with like really not uh <laughs> not friendly questions <laughs> um she was asking them to look to their own deeper yes and I'm wondering, you know, everybody who's watching this, what is that yes? Like, what is that profound yes? And if what you're present to is a no, that is fine, because under it, there's a yes. Mm. You know, the reason that we, yeah, underneath it is a yes. The reason that we say no to prison, those of us who are abolitionists, the reason that we say no to, you know, we recently learned about another um, vigilante murder of, of, of a black man running, just living his life. The reason we say no to that, there's a love underneath that because we know that we deserve to be free. We know that life is sacred and that we deserve to be able to live in our freedom. So that's a yes. And what would it mean to honor that yes? Harriet Tubman said, my people are free. And I love that she said it in the present tense and asked herself, what would she do to act accordingly? Yeah. What are the decisions and actions? And we know the decisions and actions that she did take were incredible and things that other people said were impossible in order to live in alignment with what she knew to be true, which is that we're free. So yes, I, so yes, 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 yes. yes. yes, yes. <laughs> Alexis, thank you for thank you, the world. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your yes. Thank you for the connections you make across and beyond and below and around to all creatures and all the work. Your body of literature and your revolutionary mothering and all the projects. Thank you, thank you, thank you for you.